0: three. Good evening, everybody, and welcome to another episode of V Brown Bag, a very special episode, you might call it, because tonight we are going to be a little bit off schedule. We're not doing our regular Wednesday, we're doing a Tuesday, because we found something really hot and fun to talk about, and Cody was way too excited, and he had to do it now, now, now. So um, when, when I heard about this, I was like, absolutely, we have to do this right away. Um, so without further ado, uh, a, couple of, a couple of things. We're talking about VMware APIs as a service, obviously, OpenFast and VIO Kubernetes with Cody. Cody D'Arkland, um he's, he's a uh, longtime contributor to vBrownBag and a... Pretty sweet dude, if I do say so myself. A um, couple of housekeeping tips. Get in on the conversation, um, if you tweet to at vbrownbag, I will be monitoring that to answer any questions that you might have. Uh, if you are in the audience, I will be also asking the questions directly to Mr. DeArkland about, any, about what he's uh, reviewing. And without, without any further ado, let me turn it over to you, Cody. Are you still there? I am, sir. Awesome. You are now the presenter all right
1: let's get the screen rolling yeah i just want to point out that when you said that i'm a sweet dude that's both romantically and that i'm very cool oh by that for anyone
0: for anyone who's curious warm fuzzies and hearts (laughs) (laughs) cool well you know uh, again this was
1: something that i stumbled upon i was i was playing around with some things in the lab and thought that this was a really cool thing um I'm going to dig into why it's a cool thing shortly. But with, with the work going on that the V Brownback community is doing around getting people primed for, for APIs, um, something that's kind of near and dear to my heart is consumption of APIs because as cool as, you know, a- API usage is, I think we all know that it's not always – it's hard to kind of rationalize the idea of I'm going to jump on a keyboard and just hit an API to do to do my day job, but just because of the kind of – there are times where it's a cumbersome task to go through and, and call an API, especially some of the more advanced things you'd want to do. Um, and I always thought that the kind of Lambda approach, from taking a page from AWS, the Lambda approach to, to functions was really cool, just that function as a service concept, being able to, you know, build a, a complex function, get an, get a URL in front of it, and be able to call it. And when I started Googling around, I found that there are a lot of solutions for for doing that on, on premises. And anyone who was at VMWorld or kind of kept an eye on the on the VMWorld um, the uh, keynotes had likely heard kind of some some rumblings around the concept of a of a function as a service platform that that we are working on, which is something that that's in tech previous being worked on internally. This is not it, <laughs> just to be just to be 100 clear on that. This is a uh, and open source implementation of function as a service that I thought was really cool, really easy to get started with. Uh, and it really played well for playing with Kubernetes and, and looking at how Kubernetes works in an environment. So this is really just an opportunity to play with something. And I wanted to do it a little bit different this time. And I wanted to do it as kind of a speed round where there's a long list of things that I want to tackle. And I want to see how far we can get. And the cooler part is at the end, I want to expose this URL externally and let everyone just bomb it. And we want to see if we can crash my lab. That's kind of the goal is I want to see if we can hit this API so many times that either the Kubernetes cluster crashes or my lab just seizes up. So if we can chew through the content quick enough and I can beat the beat the clock, we'll have time for me to set up that map and let people just hammer away out of it. So. Any any questions before we get started?
0: I'm very excited to crash your uh, your demo, much much like we have in the past. <laughs>
1: <laughs> no no because no, those times it was me crashing it. Now I'm going to let everybody else
0: crash it. Close enough. We're we're all we're all jazzed. <laughs> <laughs> awesome, <laughs> awesome. So because we're diving into some interesting
1: conversations, I have to throw a little bit of a caution out there. I am by far not a kubernetes expert right like a lot of this has been me playing around and learning things and i'm sure there are plenty of people on the call that have done a lot more with kubernetes and will probably point out things and teach me things this was purely a hey this is a cool way to consume apis and a cool way to kind of build a platform that i just wanted to share back with the community and i think that's one of the things that the b brown bag community does so well is is share cool things so (laughs) with that being said because i'm just playing with cool things I do not speak <laughs> formally for VMware on this topic. I can talk about the product, I can answer questions, but a lot of the opinions that I might share during this are mine and mine alone. <laughs> just throwing that out there. Before we dive in too far, I wanted to hit just a couple of terms that are gonna come up as we start playing. Chris knows that I hate doing PowerPoints, so I'm making this as minimal PowerPoint as possible. Uh, Couple couple of things we want to talk about. We're going to be using uh, vSphere integrated OpenStack Kubernetes. This was a really cool platform that I I discovered when I was looking around at what VMware was doing for Kubernetes Kubernetes overall. And what's interesting about it is I I always stayed away from it because I didn't want to go through the kind of hassle of installing and integrating OpenStack in my environment. But it turns out (laughs) that vSphere integrated OpenStack Kubernetes doesn't actually require you to have a fully functional Kubernetes environment. It will install Kubernetes on itself, you know, a simple virtual client, run the whole stack as containers, and let you consume basically the integration work that VMware's done for the OpenStack platform. So for those who don't know, VMware has an OpenStack offering that fully integrates with all things VMware, from storage perspective, from NSX, so on and so forth. The um, cool thing about... This case is that the Kubernetes implementation on BioK will automatically deploy load balancers. So typically on a Kubernetes platform, you need to set up your own ingress controller so you have a way to get into the environment, or expose individual nodes via like a node port configuration, which just basically is the same thing as doing like a NAT and regular Docker, where you expose port 443 and it takes the Docker host, you pen 443, and now you're hitting the container. Um, with the k offering, it actually will go through inside of NSX and deploy a fully functional load balancer, which is a pretty cool concept and really speaks to the integration. Uh, PKS, that's our upcoming Kubernetes implementation where we're partnering with Pivotal on it to deploy kind of enterprise grade Kubernetes um, that'll use NSXT. They'll have great level integrations with the environment, but just wanted to call out yes, it is kind of odd that it's called PKS, but it stands for Pivotal Container Service. It's supposed to be Pivotal
2: Kubernetes Service, but I don't know how that worked. Again, opinions are mine, not that of my employer. Talking about Kubernetes terms, uh,
1: we have pods. Pods are essentially container workloads. A pod running on multiple nodes, just a Kubernetes container, a Docker container running. Nodes represent Kubernetes hosts. Services are what you bolt on to a deployment, which has pods within it to ex- to expose the service externally. OpenFaaS is the platform we're going to be working with. Uh, great guys, great community. I highly recommend anybody getting involved in that community, taking a look at their at their GitHub repository, digging in. They have an awesome uh, platform for Swarm. That's kind of where I believe the platform started, and then. Uh, it also branched off into Fastnetty, So Kubernetes, they've got over 6,000 stars on uh, on GitHub. They uh, Alex Ellis, the creator, he um, spoke at DockerCon. So he had a big session at DockerCon talking about you know really creative ways to use Docker. Uh, very popular platform. I would highly recommend people who are who are in the space looking at Swarm, looking at Kubernetes, dig into this because I really think that function as a service. Is going to be one of those things that pushes containers heavily into the enterprise. You know, the idea of of a stateless platform that will run functions for you based on a URL. There's a lot of use cases for that, um, and I'm going to dive into some of those. I, I've i built a few that we're going to do examples on. So again, OpenFaaS, this is their GitHub, openfaas.com. They have a super active Slack channel. Uh, they're great about letting people jump in and, and contribute to the project. So especially with it being being over. Make sure you get in there commit some stuff huh. and then finally kubectl it's just the kubernetes command line tool we're going to be using that to do some of the deployments so cool any questions before we start the speed round
0: uh, clean on local and clean on twitter good to go awesome all right here we go so this is the be sure integrated open source kubernetes
1: interface when we log in you see i have a simple cluster here set up you build a cloud provider that does the integration to uh, sgdc in our case the RB sphere environment you build out a management network which is where all the pods land. from there you deploy an actual cluster this cluster kicks you out a kube config file which is essentially the way you're going to connect to the environment so when we pop in here you can see I have this cube config
2: file up here. So now if I do a cubectl, cube config, uh, you got an O at the first cube config. Oh, good looking out. You can see we have services running. Now if we look inside that cube config, you see it's pretty straightforward. No super secret password there. Pretty straightforward file. So now,
1: do this when we do something like get nodes. You can see we see all the nodes that are available. We have two masters and three regular nodes. So masters are basically the API entry points, and the nodes are where the actual workloads run. Now, to deploy things within the Kubernetes environment, we use uh, YAML files typically. So if we jump into FastNetis, which we uh, actually cloned down before this from their GitHub repository. So I'll bring up their GitHub just real quick for show and tell. This is just the Kubernetes implementation of OpenFast. When we look in, we can actually see we have a bunch of different stuff in here. First, just for honesty's sake, I want to show that we are working with a empty Kubernetes environment. So when I go into the Kubernetes dashboard here, which you can reach at the IP address that deploys on slash UI. I have no deployments. Brian Kelly actually made a really good point that the Kubernetes dashboard is a lot like vCenter for Kubernetes, and I thought that was a really good, really good uh, description, really good comparison. So, we have nothing running. No ingress, no nothing. So now, when we pop back in, we can actually do have to back that up one. We'll do keep apply to apply the the
2: actual YAML files, and we'll do. And we'll also deploy monitoring. Monitoring is pretty cool
1: because uh, Alex has built a series of uh, graphs and charts to show the scaling of an environment. So one thing we're going to show is the actual build out of an environment, um, an actual way that containers are hit. So these actually built out the whole environment. Next, we're going to show that the containers are actually deploying in the dashboard. So if we pop into deployments, See, we have some good stuff going on there. Our pods are being deployed. And if we pop into these, we can see they're running on some of the individual nodes. Now, because I have the NSX integration set up, this doesn't configure a node port out of the box. So a node port is basically a configuration within Kubernetes that says, hey, I want to expose an individual, let's say individual ports on the host that I'm working with. So in a normal configuration, it would have used the external IP address for this, or the non-internal Docker IP, just the one that was for the actual regular VM, or the actual VM, and it would have exposed the actual function of the service port on it. Since I don't have that set up, it's not going to automatically do a a node port.
2: So right now, this is not not accessible from the environment. That being said, if we do a The pods and then if we go in you know one step deeper we can do describe the gateway as an example. Oh I deleted pods. We can get more details around it. Now what's really interesting is right now, as it stands, we only have this deployed to to one node. One pod deployed for each one of these and we're not able to access it
1: externally. So when we go into services, you can see the ports are there. So ports are, are ready, but it's not able to be accessible because we're using the internal Docker IP right now. What's really cool about Kubernetes overall is it lets us actually, we can scale this out by just redeploying the YAML file or a different type of YAML file for it and change that YAML file around. So if we go in and we look at the normal fast.yaml file, scroll up to the top, it's set up for node port, but because the implementation I'm using with NSX integration, it doesn't actually expose it that way. But you can see that if it was on a normal environment, it would have actually exposed that node port over these ports for the system. If we change this node port to load balancer instead and just expose the port that, that the load balancer needs to run on, that actually works and it'll actually update also if you look we're using one replica kind of across the board we're not scaled out at all so if that one host goes down for some reason we're going to lose function as a service capability for grins i've already started a fast load balancer yaml file that changes it each service to load balancer replicas to four which actually should be three because we only have three nodes. So one of the nodes is going to have two containers running on it. Now before I apply this, I want to show my NSX and my V-Center and show the load balancer configuration.
2: Loading, loading, loading. And you'll see what it's up being deployed from an NSX
1: perspective when I deploy the BioPay to so the vSphere-integrated OpenStack Kubernetes. It deploys these additional services into NSX, uh, kind of parts of the platform, which I think is a really cool integration. And when I talk to that team, it's actually using the uh, um, camera which service now off the top of my head within OpenStack to do that uh, networking. Uh, neutron, there we go. So I was thinking. It uses the Neutron service integration with NSX to do all of this. When so we pop into the case router, oops, not the proxy, pop into the router, you can see we have all of these interfaces set up. We have external interfaces that you see normally in NSX that tie into our regular environment. These are publicly reachable IPs, and if you look at our Kubernetes dashboard, 182, 182 is one of them. Then we have our internal subnets for for communication. We pop over to the load balancer. We look at the virtual servers. We have some services in place just for Kubernetes to function normally.
2: So now if we pop back into here and we do Apply fastlb.yml. Oh, what did I do wrong? Oh, I had it backwards, that's why. Now, that's where things get really interesting. If I do a refresh in NSX, there's only, oh, there it was. That just popped up. Now, if we pop in to the NAT table, we'll see additional NATs created for that as well. Those are still running. And what's really cool is if we pop back in here, you can see these two have pending external IPs. And now it's showing up as having something there. So if we do a git service
1: fast netisd, if we grep out Load balancer. Oh, oops, that's why. Describe. So, Git is kind of like a high
2: level, just light details. Describe really digs in. We can see this is living on 192 right now. Now, Oh, this is the, yeah, this is not the gateway
1: service. So to get the, this is the actual, or a different service, not the actual gateway that we need to work with. The services, we have the second one open, the gateway's up now, so we'll do the same thing with that. That The service is still coming up, so it's probably not going to load anyway.
2: and just be for it to finish loading now if we pop into dashboard we go back to our deployments you can see that our four replicas are running now with four pods actually running within the environment Our load balancers are actually deployed now and actually doing what they should be. There we go. Now we have no actual portal functions deployed. We have no functions in the environment to actually use
1: yet. But you can see how easy it was for us to go from a single node that was deployed up and running we change a couple of lines within that YAML file to point out load balancer and then change replicas to four and the environment scales out very easily and quickly without really any negative impact. And we're able to do these rolling upgrades in the environment as we reapply new, new Kubernetes configurations and expand the environment. So, I thought that was a really cool, a really cool way to a look at things. And again, if we go into load balancer, you can see it's created that second load balancer,
2: which also has Mon- it's own dedicated monitors running on it to make sure the service is up. Now, whenever we add a new service
1: or expand this, they're always going to be available in the load balancer to be consumed by. So it's a really easy way. You know, you think about people spend you know days and months building workflows and visualize automation to do load balancer as a service. The fact that it's from a Kubernetes perspective, you deploy a pod and it's just naturally there, right? It really speaks to the positive. Kind of configuration and then how much work went into actually building the the load balancer
2: as a service. So let's get start with some functions now. So in order to
1: work with uh, OpenFaaS, there's a fast CLI that actually will deploy these functions. I have the functions here, but I also have them up in code so we can take a look at what's actually being done. Um, OpenFast uses a uh, like a YAML file to actually control deployment of functions. Uh you drop you build the functions in a folder using a template. So there's a fast CLI command to do a new build based off of a number of different templates. So you can see I've got a couple in here running Python and a couple of them in here running Node from a JavaScript perspective just because those are two languages that I'm comfortable with. But if we pop into the templates folder, you can see there's a ton of options here. There's C sharp. There's Node, there's an ARM version of Node, there's Ruby, um, there's been some chatter around, space around uh, essentially a Go provider coming out to run Go functions, so it, it's, it's pretty cool. Uh, within this YAML file, I've also set up some environment variables to communicate with my environment. I was talking with the creator and he had suggested that it's a little bit better for these types of you know, secrets and such to use environment files instead. I stuck with this just to show further around that community, just the idea of being able to seed these into functions so you're not having to hard-code this data in. I know you guys are sitting with uh, Jad Elzane tomorrow to talk about VRA APIs. So I'll take a quick look at, this is an API call for VRA's automation that'll go in and it'll dump all of the resources for environment. So it goes in, it builds a bearer token, does a post to get that token then calls the URL and dumps it back out to the screen. I'll let him obviously cover his API stuff, but I just wanted to show the concept that it's very easy to build, just a standard API that doesn't have anything hard-coded in it and feed those environment variables in. So we have a couple of things here we're gonna play with. We have a um, a function for getting a vCenter VM by name. We have one that just lists out all the VMs. We have one that lists out some basic network information, which actually is pretty pointless right now because that API is not fully fleshed out. Um,
2: There's the get VMs in Python. And then getting a VRA token. So we jump in and look at
1: these functions. These are all just standard standard functions. So this is a JavaScript function that, actually this is a better one. This is a standard JavaScript function that uh, Steve Carnes, he's jumped on and and helped out with some stuff with me before. He helped me build and did a blog post around um, because I ran into some problems with synchronous calls inside of Node, which are a lot of fun to deal with. But this is just a, you know, the same thing that you would use inside of a, a normal a normal application that needed to do an API call It's the same functional function that exists there. We're building out a REST call, doing a REST call to get the vCenter session ID. Then we're doing another REST call to pull this information back down. If I was to optimize this, I would you know, dump this key out or the session ID out to like an external database um, and call back that session ID instead and make it run faster and then refresh that session ID whenever it expired. But for now, this served the purpose of doing a call. Jumping back into OpenFAST, when we look at our directory, we've got all of our actual components here. Now, there's a few things when you're working with OpenFAST that are, are good to be aware of. Each one of these functions is actually gonna be deployed as a Docker container. And what that does is that that container will run the function and it spins up one initially to service any load and then we'll scale that function how, however much is needed based on the inbound, inbound requests. So it's a pretty cool way to think about um, you know, running these functions in an environment that they're in the stateless container that is eventually gonna blow itself away. Based on, based on scale or lack of utilization. So, from a fasp perspective, when you're building your function, you can do
2: new function,
1: we can do new-h,
2: and we can see all of the information that's needed, gateway,
1: language, list, name. We need to update our stack file to actually take into account for
2: the new the new gateway. Plop over. Where did that pesky gateway go? There it is. One ninety three. So we'll update this to one 93. All of our other
1: stuff can stay the same, and you'll notice that each one of these plays or um, works with an image. These are actually pushed into Docker Hub. So if you go look at my ID on Docker Hub, you'll see all of these containers that I've built. This could be used with an on-prem solution as well if you wanted to. Um, I
2: just use Docker Hub because. So we'll save that. We don't need to do a new function because we already have the functions we're going to work with. But if we did a fast CLI build
1: stack.yaml, it would actually go through and build every one of those containers, tag them, do all the Docker stuff, and then you would just do
2: a push and it would push up into Docker. So for us, we're gonna do deploy and it's gonna deploy everything within that stack. This is an expected error message. I have a problem issue open on that right now. Doesn't impact functionality at all. Now, if we call this too fast, if I do from the command line, just simple curl this, and then feed in a name because this one expects a name, it's probably going to fail unless it spins up really fast. Oh,
1: it didn't, and so it did. You see, we're returning just back a simple a simple JSON file. Right, simple JSON response that can then be parsed. So if we were to jump into Python, and import the requests module, and then import JSON. The requests actually to the fast
2: um, API endpoint are posts. So we do a post. Copy and paste because you know. There's that Oops. spelling is hard. I do that all the time because I use things wrong. There we go. It's very easy for us to pull this stuff out. Now, if we did like an r.json and then did like name, see the name. Same thing if we go and look at the VRA resources one. This dumps out as a massive JSON file. Oops, post. This one doesn't require any input. There we go. So we can start to get in and actually parse this out. We can say, you know, zero deployments, the first in the array. That makes it a lot smaller. And then we can go in and do name and see that this is a CentOS build for my DRA environment. Yay! Cool. Nice. Now, again,
1: if we go into the UI, now all of these are actually here. We can go in and do the same thing.
2: We return it to text, which is going to return back a bunch of objects. if we switch it to JSON, we can actually see some detail around it. Now
1: we're trending really well on time, so we're going to be able to blow this, blow this up pretty hard. Um, but we have a problem. If we go
2: into describe our services. just for dreams we have all these that are being effectively proxied by
1: by Kubernetes but our monitoring platforms so alert manager as well as Prometheus aren't reachable right now because they're behind a node so we need to actually go in and we need to modify the monitoring YAML file to add the load
2: balancer in. So we're gonna go into FastNetEase, we're gonna go into monitoring, oops, hitting buttons too fast. And we're gonna start messing with stuff. Again, we just go through simple edits to the YAML file. So two of those are done. We'll write that file, and now we'll go. I did it again. So now if we do to get services again minus my continued typo that I really feel like keeping making. We see we're pending RIP just like before. We pop into the Kubernetes dashboard. We can watch it.
1: See all that new stuff is there. These have the little waiting because they're in a pending state to make their change. Essentially what we're waiting for is NSX to finish all of its good lovin'. feel like that's a tagline for the night. Good lovin' with Kubernetes.
2: We have one. She's gonna show us our graph.
0: And we have still
1: loading. And there's the other, which lets us see alerts. Which we can also see in here, I see there's a high invocation rate alarm that we're essentially
2: watching for. Now if I do this, what well, she's gonna want monitor our actual um our actual implications. You can see it's only been called a couple of times. But if I go in and I start doing things Let's reschedule that out because that's not going to be good. Now, if we do that, should be able to watch it actually refresh and have some more runs to it. So basically what we're going to watch is we're going to watch us hammer this with API calls. Optimally, we'll want to do ones that have fast returns. Which I can help with and We'll see what happens. So before we get there though, I wanted to talk just
1: a little bit about like this I see the function of the service play especially for for enterprises that have a lot of compliance concerns and don't want to run those kinds of, those kinds of advanced functions in in their. Like public cloud environments so running through AWS running after Azure functions. I think there's a real market for On-premises function as a service Abilities and I see this in things like alerting so the way we would do alerts back to an environment I see this a lot in, in how we interact with api's right and in, in building you know web web services that consume api's when you have something going to be repeatable it's very convenient to have this stuff sit behind Kubernetes be in a scalable cluster that's going to be able to handle the load and then have your actual URL that you've coded into your document be something as simple
2: as a curl that I have down here, right, and be able to feed that parameter in.
1: So now we're going to spend, we're going to take about a 30 second break while I go and
2: do a quick mat into my environment.
1: There any questions popping up, Chris? While I'm doing this,
0: uh, I let me check the Twitter sphere. <laughs> um, there, there's there's one uh, there's one question uh, more more generic, not not specific to this. Um, any recommendations for folks that want to learn YAML? I find a platform that heavily uses it. The thing about the YAML is it's not it's not
1: like a not a programming language that you learn. It's really just a step that you consume. So it's like saying, I want to
2: learn JSON, right?
1: JSON just sits here and it's
2: really a way that information is delivered.
1: Um, you know, your best bet is to find a platform that, that uses YAML and, and kind of work with those configuration files, right? So like VRA's automation has a, a lot of functionality involved in the YAML files to it. Um, obviously, obviously, Kubernetes is a great a great example. And um, for those who don't know, there's a really cool site called uh, playwithk com. the so play with k com and it'll actually let you spin up a Kubernetes cluster on the fly. So you could run all of this that I'm doing right now um, within that Kubernetes, within play with Kubernetes or play with K-H, rather. So, but all of those are going to use YAML files
0: um, and it's probably a good place to get started. Play with, uh, play with kh.com. Nice. I'm not a robot.
1: So interesting stuff. Um, in the same video that Alex uh, Ellis did his demonstration about open fast, I also found out about play with Docker.com, which gives you essentially Docker hosts for four hours. Um, to play with and you can do everything with them. You can expose external services with them. And I actually in that presentation they talked about that Docker actually uses playwithdocker.com for when they train their internal employees on Docker. So right. they actually use this for for their environment. So it's really easy to come into play with Docker and create, you know, a three node three node environment and then do like a Docker swarm to add them all together.
0: That looks exactly like the play with K8s environment. Are they are they both in the same Exactly.
1: Okay. So play with case came right after and it was a kind of a challenge that was issued from from uh, um, from DockerCon. So hey now now go out and make play with play with Docker better. So they came out with Play with Case. Gotcha. Nice. So, for those that haven't seen it, I don't know if Chris is looking at it right now. Play
2: with case For those who don't have a ton of exposure
1: to Kubernetes, I know you guys did a Kubernetes series way earlier. Um, Kubernetes is really the most mature Kubernetes platform. Or, <laughs> Kubernetes is the most mature Kubernetes platform. That's funny. <laughs> Kubernetes is the most mature orca- container orchestration platform. Um, when you think about how long Google's been running at Kubernetes, it's kind of insane to think how popular Docker is now when when Google's been running. Containers and and Kubernetes in their environment for the better part of the past, what, 10 years?
2: Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Let's see, what port forwarding rule are we going to hijack today? Grab the IP correctly, 193. All right. Mm. So we have nine people on the call right now. Figure mm-hmm. out
1: that nine. Probably only three of us are going to try to do this. So
0: What? No, they're all going to do it. They're all paying attention. Good cheat. Oh, actually, uh, Steve just. I did not um, fully nine. Is it? No, no, it, <laughs> it's it's just me and you. No, uh, every, everybody's responding. They're like they're ready. They're they're ready to do this. All right.
2: All right, we are going to use, that's what we're gonna hammer it with. So one of three things is gonna happen.
1: One, we're gonna flood the the vCenter appliance with so many authentication requests that it's going to crash. Two, the Kubernetes cluster is gonna crash, which is unlikely, um, because if it crashes, one of the other nodes will pick up, so you have to really crash three nodes in order for this to happen or the whole lab's going to take a dump. <laughs> so <laughs> those, are, those are our possibilities. So I'm going to go ahead and grab the URL that we're going to work with. Now, you can run any of the functions that I've been running this whole time. So this one will work right here. But if you want
2: it a little bit shorter, you can go get VC, VNet, VM. Oops, I think I spelled that wrong. VMs, plural. Boom, that dumps all the VMs in an environment. I don't have any super secret
1: VMs in there that no one can know about. So I've pasted the command into chat. And if you wanna get really crazy about it, I stole this one from Alex Ellis's page also. We're gonna clear. He's gonna loop curl. Oh, I gave you the, the, the internal IP address.
0: Yeah, we need the external. All
1: right. Let's see.
2: Let me make sure this one works real quick. There we go. Oh, I only did it to the organizers and panelists.
1: I will. Bad shot. Hold on.
0: There you go, guys.
2: Thank you, Chris.
1: Now, when I try to curl it on my internal environment, it's not working, so we'll have to see what happens for you guys. That doesn't surprise me because it'd be basically hairpinning and all that bad stuff.
0: Graham is going die lab die.
1: <laughs> it, can somebody confirm if it's running?
0: Uh, Steve and Graham got the got the data back.
2: So we do this. We drop this in. We're watching for
1: alerts to pop up. It's not coming up yet. Let me finish my loop curl out so we can try to force this on. The problem with this call is it's a slow call to run
2: There we go. High invocation
1: rate. So now, what's really cool about this is when the high invocation rate kicks off. If we jump in here and we look at the pods, check that out. We're scaling up four additional pods right now nice. to help service this load. That alert is still running. still firing off, so it's probably going to scale up more pods now. <laughs> oh, so those pods are in service now, helping take that load. So now what's really cool is if we switch this up, and if we do instead, we do to get RA resources one. So if I pop in here, so this guy's still running on his little curl.
2: I broke him, so there we go. I loop curl on here. So if everyone
1: else switches, you'll see that that invocation rate is going to kick in again. On a different service this time. Right now it's running on getVCVM. I don't know if I'm going to be able to make it run fast enough to actually call it for that. No, because it has to hit five requests a second basically in order for it to, uh, in order for it to trigger. A lot of calls. 150 calls. Looks like it's running. Somebody is running multiple windows, I think.
0: Uh, Graham has forked 3,000 sets of it.
1: <laughs> oh, Graham. <laughs> but, but you know, here, here's the point, though. Look, it's still... It has not crashed yet. We have a metric F-ton of Git pods up.
2: <laughs> so if we go into... Kubernetes. Let me get back into the system. Look at
0: that. Holy mackerel. All the pods. All the pods. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, Graham. <laughs> oh, we have it. Graham finally got a uh, failed to connect connection timed out. He's, he's trying his hardest.
1: <laughs> Did my other one crash yet? Nope. My, so, so his is, I wonder if his is continuing to crash out. Is he sitting in the same container or, or what? Is it still crashing, Graham?
0: Uh, he said yes. Oh. Probably had the same one.
2: Interesting. Oh, oh, oh! Never mind. There goes mine again. Still good.
1: So we're up in the in the four hundred four hundred calls range now for
2: for that VM.
1: And we've maxed out the amount of replicas that it's running on. Our servicing that amount of replicas now just fine. Mm. So it's important to note one thing about scalability wise: this entire cluster is running on one host. So even though it's four nodes, it's running on one host. My little my little lab box here.
2: Right. Who has
1: still got plenty of memory available? So it's not like we're we're chewing through and we're not throwing alerts on on those nodes right from a from a vCenter alarms perspective so we're servicing the load it's interesting that grant's crashing without seeing why interesting enough as you see before we were at 35 pages now we're back down to 20 pages so Mm -hmm. this goes to show that it scales back down as the demand is is lessened so if we do get pods again you'll see that the VMs or the get the get VC VMs container is scaling back down to meet current load. I almost wonder if Comcast owned Graham by limiting its connection to be over 400
0: times. Is, uh, is he still running? Uh, he, he said the next 3000 are running again with no error now. Oh,
1: perfect. <laughs> so yeah. Um, and you can see it's scaling back up now to service those new loads. So,
0: Very cool.
1: Demo gods were friendly tonight, Chris. Yeah. Demo
0: gods were
1: friendly.
0: See, there you go tempting them again.
1: (laughs) Right, right. Well the demo it's all it's all over now. So yeah, that's you know, that's what I wanted to show you guys. I think that the idea of leveraging these is really cool and and some practical applications, you know, the Alexa stuff is a is a great example. Um, you know, I was doing calls from Alexa that were building these longer, you know, these longer JavaScript functions in the actual code. But now if I can offload all this code into the Kubernetes platform and have these running as functions of the service, you know, these serverless functions that go and run. And when I say serverless, obviously they're running on somebody's somebody's server somewhere. But the spirit of that statement is that these spin up and then spin down when they're done and not need anymore. They spin up relatively on demand, they're low maintenance, they're not meant to be managed systems, they serve one purpose, and that's to run that function and close out. So it, it, it's interesting to, to have a platform like this and be able to call these functions as part of, really these API calls as part of a different platform, right? Um, having Alexa reach out to this and pull down really the specific data we want. You know, Steve Carnes and I worked over the weekend on hacking together some some VR stuff similar to Alan Renault did at VMworld. So we were hacking together our own our own version of this to to work with VRise automation. Mm-hmm. And when you pull back this large kind of blob of JSON data, you don't always need all of that data. So being able to construct your own API your own API calls inside of Function as a Service, and then instead of doing all the off and all of the kind of construction of that return within that development platform, you're able to do it just as a, as a container and return all the data you need. So I think this is going to be something that, that the industry across the board is going to be consuming a lot more of. Um, when I talk to people and customers about function as a service, there are people in compliance who are really interested in, in being able to do function as a service on premises, um, not for all their workloads, but certainly for some. Very cool. Yeah. So I hope uh, I hope everyone felt like they got something out of this. Um, I know. I know I did. So <laughs> I'm glad that the platform did not crash. I just want to call that out. My API calls are still chugging along, and Graham fired off another 3,000. So <laughs> so all in all, look at that. Look at all those.
0: He's relentless.
1: I want to call it Get VC V C V and let it run
0: uh he said curl is chewing up 72 percent of his cpu right now
1: sounds like you need a more powerful computer Graham.
0: oh see you, you had to go there why would you do that <laughs> right <laughs> right gauntlet has been thrown right, next, next wednesday cool um all right let me uh, let me do a, a quick scan um a lot of thank yous from everybody saying saying great show um Al's, Al is uh, saying very well prepared, easy to follow along. Granted, this is all new to me, but I don't feel out of place. Kudos to Cody, um, and, and a lot of similar hey, sentiments. Al. Cool. All right, Mr. Mr. Cody, um, are we good?
1: I am good, sir.
0: Excellent. Thank, thank you very much for uh, for doing this very special episode um, on a, on a Tuesday on a Tuesday evening. Um, appreciate it, and thanks everybody for attending. Have a great night.